You're listening to a Los Angeles Sports Nation production, enhancing your Los Angeles sports fan experience. Alrighty, guys. Uh, we are uh, we are back. This is uh, the Mob Squad Pod. This is episode nine. Uh, we're continuing on with our series previewing the different divisions uh, in the NFC. At some point, we'll move on to the AFC. Right now, we're sticking with the NFC, and this week, we're actually doing the NFC South, and we're joined by Antoine Staley, who covers the Carolina Panthers for the Riot Report and Athlon Sports um, for our discussion this week. So, Antoine, welcome. Thanks for joining us. It's good to be with you. So um, right off the bat, first thing I'm going to ask you is uh, I found you on Twitter and you are I want you to know you're among friends. I also am a Red Sox fan. So welcome. Uh, Manny and Aaron are Yankees fans. So if you don't want to talk to them, you don't have to. (laughs) I don't blame you. Uh, (laughs) And uh, the other thing that I was going to ask you is I saw you had noted in your bio that you're a hip hop historian. So I have to ask if you had to give me your top three all time, who's going to be your top three artists or bands? Uh, I mean, if we're talking about hip hop, uh, like solo acts, I probably would say, my favorite, or at least I think, probably the three that I think are the best are probably Jay Z, Nas, and uh, I'll have to say Tupac. I definitely okay. think those guys are probably set themselves among everybody else. I, I mean, I would throw the only reason I don't have uh, maybe Notorious B.I.G., which is crazy enough, it's his birthday today, is he oh, wow. made really two solo albums, but. Yeah, um, that was, that would be my top three. Um, if I'd have top four, I would throw Notorious B.I.G. in there. But yeah, that's that's kind of what I would do as far as solo acts. As far as groups, um, maybe um, Wu Tang, Outkast, and a Tribe Called Quest. That's probably um, how I would look at that as well. Okay. All right. I definitely like the Tupac selection as a guy who grew up in California. Obviously, Tupac was like a huge deal. Um, when he was killed, I was only nine or 10 years old, but I remember as a kid just being like, whoa, this is a big deal because I remember like that was when East Coast, West Coast was like a huge rivalry and like it was like a big deal. And then Tupac actually gets killed because of it. And so I remember just being a kid and being like blown away by that. Um, so I, and I've always liked his music and um, Biggie as well. So. Uh, I'm not going to argue with you on any of those selections. Uh, So what we're going to do this week, we're going to talk about the NFC South. What we'll do is we'll start with the Falcons. So the first thing I'm going to do before I get into a real deep dive on the Falcons is I'm kind of a Jersey guy. So I have to ask you for your own personal opinion. Where do you fall on these new Falcons jerseys? Uh, I mean, I would have liked to see them go back to the old school look where the ones they had in the nineties were the black on black with the black helmet, black jersey, kind of the red outline. If you look at remember what Deion Sanders used to wear, those oh, yeah. jerseys. Uh I, I don't I think they're all right. I don't think they're terrible. I know a lot of people kind of rip, you know, the Twitter clan uh likes to rip on jerseys these days. 
Uh, so I'm not gonna just go out and say go on go out and say they're just God they're the most ugly things I've ever seen. But yeah, I would like to see them make an old school look, kind of like what the Browns and the Bucks did. Yeah, I definitely I'll probably throw myself into that Twitter clan. I'm not a fan of these. I I don't like them really at all. Uh, they're definitely not the ugliest things I've ever seen. Um, I definitely was hoping they were gonna do something. I don't know, better, a little bit more. I agree with you. The old school kind of retro look that they had from the 90s, which thankfully they've kept as one of their like alternate jerseys. Uh, I do love those. Those ones are awesome. I think I was in the group of people who were kind of hoping that the Falcons were just going to bring that back and that was kind of going to be their primary look. So I agree with you. That was a really good look. And if they had gone with that, I'd been a little bit more happy, but it's all good. Uh, I think they're better... Uh, before I say that, I might want to stop myself. I was going to say they might be better than the new Rams jerseys, but <laughs> I, I don't know because those ones are still really bad. Those left a bad taste in my mouth. But anyway, so, hey, hey, real quick, too. So yeah, I, yeah, Antoine, I, uh, I ranked the Falcons um, one of their jerseys as my number five favorite in the NFL. And that's the gradient look, this red into black. It looks sweet. So, I mean, although I do agree, the whole the old uh, 90s look was pretty cool. I don't know. I think this gradient look, it's still something about it. It's spicy. I like it. I hope they use it's, it a lot. It's definitely different. I, I need to see them with it on during the game, and then maybe I'll change my opinion uh, about it. But yeah, just looking at photos uh, and the video that they had on Twitter and Facebook or whatever, yeah, it was it was okay. Yeah, I just I guess I guess I just had a higher expectations of what their uniforms were going to look like. To be honest, yeah. No, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I think honestly, if they had gotten rid of the ATL that's that sits on top of the numbers, I think I would like it a lot more. But the giant number with the ATL on top of it just looks kind of weird to me. It's I don't I don't know if it's cartoonish or what it is, but for some reason I don't like that part. So if, if they could get rid of that, I'd probably be a little bit more on board with it. But yeah, so we'll get into the Falcons a little bit here. So last year. They finish up seven and nine, which was surprisingly good for second in the division um, under Dan Quinn. Their offense scored 23.8 points a game. That was good for 13th in the league. Their defense was giving up about 24.9 a game, which was good for 23rd. So this past season was their fifth under Dan Quinn. Uh, they tried to improve on their seven and nine season from 2018. Uh but obviously they didn't. They still went seven and nine, um, and they haven't made the playoffs since 2017. So they kind of stumbled out of the gate. They only went one and seven to start the season. They did finish strong. Obviously, they went six and two to finish out the season. But starting off one and seven was really tough, and they were never really able to recover from that. So the first question that I just want to ask you, Antoine, that maybe this is just an easy question. Uh, I guess it's the question that most people ask. Do you think Dan Quinn should still have his job as the head coach? Or do you think the Falcons should have moved on by now? Well, I, I think um, the players kind of determined that uh, they were one in seven. It was rumors that he was going to be fired and the team played team played for him. They played hard for him. And I've been on, I've covered teams on the opposite end where Coaches will be on the hot seat and the players will just stop playing for them because they've had enough. Uh, they don't feel like this coach is warranted uh, enough credit, enough attention to keep fighting for them. And 
Uh, the Falcons players, apparently they just want, they really wanted Dan Quinn to continue to be their head coach. So uh, finish six and 10 to end the year. I know they missed the playoffs, but I mean, they're in a situation in that division. I definitely think they have a chance to make the playoffs, especially with the added wildcard team in each each conference. Now I know a lot of people talk about Tampa Bay and with Tom Brady and, I'm sure we're going to get to that, but I think the Falcons have a chance to make the playoffs as well. Uh, obviously, you got the Saints as the top dog in the NFC South, but yeah, I definitely think um, giving Dan Quinn at least one more year. Obviously, everybody knows it's playoffs a bust this year, especially with that um, another wild card spot available. So yeah, I definitely think they made the right decision by bringing him back. Yeah, when you had started saying that about the the players kind of deciding. That reminded me of the situation with the Rams with Jeff Fisher because that's the way it felt to me. It felt like, you know, I think Jeff Fisher's a, a pretty decent coach, but I think at that point in his Rams tenure, the players just didn't want to play for him anymore and he kind of lost the ear of the locker room. So I think that's why, you know, Jeff Fisher never really worked out for LA. Um, I do agree with you. I think this is going to be kind of like boom or bust for the Falcons this year. If they don't make the playoffs, I have a feeling Dan Quinn's going to be doing some job hunting. Um, My only, I guess my biggest criticism of Dan Quinn is I feel like every time it's like a late game situation or there's like a real critical moment in a game, I feel like he always messes that up. And I, I don't have the numbers in front of me to back it up, but I feel like, Every time the Falcons are down by five late in a game, he always settles for field goals instead of going for touchdowns. And I, I, like I said, I don't have the numbers on, on in front of me to back me up, but I feel like he always just makes these really weird decisions where he's like, yep, I just kicked a field goal. Now all we have to do is get the ball back with two minutes left and, and win the game. And I just feel like he doesn't really push the envelope or make the best coaching decisions at all times. But, um, they clearly have faith in him or else he wouldn't, you know, still be there. Um, I don't know, Antoine, if you're like a big college football guy or not. Me personally, not my thing. I don't pay a huge attention to it. Um, but the Falcons had the uh, 16th pick in the draft and they took A.J. Terrell from uh, Clemson. Clemson. Yeah. Yeah. So just a little quick bit on Terrell. So. As a true freshman at Clemson in 2017, he played in 14 games, recording 15 tackles and a pick. Sophomore, he started all 15 games, had 53 tackles, three interceptions, and a touchdown. And in 2019, uh, in the championship game, he returned an interception, 44 yards for a touchdown against Alabama, against Manny's boy, Tua. Uh, So he declared, he came out, he goes in the first round, what are your thoughts on him as far as a fit for the Falcons or just a fit in the NFL in general? Well, I, yeah, I, I pay attention to a lot to college football and saw a lot of him uh, at Clemson. So yeah, it was some ups and downs for him. He definitely has a lot of talent. I think a lot of people thought uh, they were surprised that he was taken that high, including myself, but everybody knew the Falcons needed a cornerback and they were targeting CJ Henderson. It's just the fact that Henderson's stock had just continued to climb that so much that the Jaguars decided to take them at number nine. And from there, the Falcons felt like they needed to go ahead and uh, kind of overdraft and maybe reach, depending on who you ask, for a cornerback. And they wanted to make sure they got got one in the first round. And they got a guy that um, not as good as Henderson and obviously Jeff Coutier, but 
definitely um Terrell has definitely has a lot of talent and could be a solid player in the league. I don't know how great he's gonna be. I don't think he's as good as Henderson or uh some of the other guys potentially in the draft, but I definitely think he could be a, end up being a solid guy. Um a lot, maybe not a lot down corner, but a good contributor in the league. Yeah, I remember uh, a couple days before the draft, some stories were leaking out about the Falcons trying really hard to trade up because they really had their eyes on some guys that they really, really wanted. And so that whole draft, I was waiting pretty much picks like five through 10. I was waiting for the Falcons to kind of make a move and trade up, but that never happened. So I guess they were, you know, okay with Terrell. So um, they, they didn't trade back, so they must be okay with him. Um, the Falcons have made some, um, I would say, some big-name additions to their roster for this upcoming season. Uh, the three that I wanted to key on was a couple former Rams, actually. Dante Fowler, Todd Gurley, and Hayden Hurst. Of those three, who do you think makes you know the biggest impact? Uh, I probably have to say Fowler. Fowler had a really good year for the Rams a year ago. Um, had over had 11 and a half sets, I believe. Uh, really was a good contributor for the Rams. And I definitely think with the Falcons, I definitely, you know, their defense was a big question last year. It wasn't necessarily their offense. Their offense, as long as Matt Ryan and Julio Jones has been there, has always been consistent. So I definitely think that having a pass rusher like him who consistently get pressure on the quarterbacks, especially in the division that they play in, where you got a got Drew Brees, now you got Tom Brady, and you got Teddy Bridgewater with the Panthers. I definitely think that's important to be able to get pressure on those guys, and I definitely think Fowler is probably the biggest addition out of all of those players that you mentioned. I would agree with you, and uh, I definitely – I'm a big Dante Fowler guy, and I'll talk more about that later. But, yeah, I'm a big Dante Fowler guy. I was sad to see him uh, leave L.A. Um, the Hayden Hurst pickup – I don't remember Matt Ryan ever really having a huge weapon as a tight end. I know Austin Hooper's kind of, I guess he's has some injuries here and there, but it seemed like those two are delivering or developing some chemistry. So it'll be interesting to see now that they have two viable tight ends, what that does for the offense. Cause we already know Julio Jones is Julio Jones. Um, Calvin Ridley appears to be a pretty decent wide receiver. So uh, interesting to see what the offense does there. Uh, Manny, Aaron, did you guys have anything Falcons related that you wanted to address before we move on? Yeah, uh, just one question. Um, Antoine, does Matt Ryan need to win a Super Bowl in order to be considered a Hall of Fame quarterback? I don't think so. Um, but I, I know he's gonna with the ring counting nowadays, mm-hmm. especially on social media, people are gonna say. <laughs> but I mean, it's been quarterbacks that have played that necessarily hadn't won Super Bowls. Um, Philip Rivers, I, I think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. He, he he's probably not going to win a Super Bowl, although I think the Colts might be really good this year. But yeah, I, I mean, if he goes, if he were retired today, I definitely think he would be a Hall of Famer. Um, it, it just depends. There's been other quarterbacks that hadn't won. Uh, you look at Dan Fouts uh, with the Chargers. Obviously, Dan. People talk about Dan Marino as well. But, yeah, I definitely think uh, he doesn't have to win one. It would be great, especially considering the uh, 28-3 jokes that's been all around since that Super Bowl they lost against the Patriots. But, no, I don't think he needs to win one. He just needs to continue to play at the level that he's been playing at, which has been really good, to be honest, consistently really good. And I definitely think he'll have an opportunity to get in the can one day. 
Yeah, I feel like Matt Ryan is one of those guys that doesn't really get as much credit as he should. Uh, Aaron, did you have anything related to the Falcons? Uh, I don't have much to add other than Antoine. Where do you where do you see the Falcons finishing in the uh, NFC South this year? I think they're gonna. I know a lot of people talk about Tampa Bay, but I definitely think um, maybe nine and seven. Um, I can see the Falcons. Uh, I think them and Tampa Bay might have about the same record. Um, I really, I really think people are sleeping on Atlanta and maybe um, overestimating the Tampa Bay a little bit there. But yeah, I definitely think both of them are going to finish about nine as ten wins. So I definitely can see the Falcons um, getting that last wild card spot in the NFC. Okay, awesome, uh, Manny. You want to go ahead and talk some Carolina Panthers? Yes, yes. All right, Antoine, my friend. Thank you again for joining us. We can't thank you enough. Um, all right, so let's go to your bread and butter here the carolina panthers obviously a couple of seasons back they made appearance in super bowl 50 um you know one of the top teams that year um you know all you know offensively and on the other side of the ball but major changes has now happened with that franchise uh their all-star or well, all-star there what we probably consider hall of fame quarterback if he would have probably stayed even maybe if he it maybe if he could have won the super bowl uh cam newton was drafted back in 2011 and Luke Keekley who was drafted a year, a year later are no longer there. Um, those are two big positions on a football team, Antoine. Um, before we go through the draft and what the Panthers have done, which player do you think the Panthers will miss the most? It's definitely Luke Keekley. I mean, obviously I know a lot of people will talk, well, I know we'll talk a lot about Cam Newton and what he brought to the table, but Look at the last couple of years. I mean, he he has been injured. Um, he suffered a shoulder injury in 2018 that really derailed their season. I know he played some throughout through that injury, but uh, he was never really the same after that. After they started six and two, they ended up finishing seven and nine that year. And then last year, um, they ended up having high hopes for Cam Newton coming back from the shoulder surgery. He ended up injuring his foot in the preseason against the Patriots. And, mm-hmm. yeah, he played against the Rams and the Bucks the first two games of the season. But he clearly wasn't the same quarterback after that. But you look at Luke Keekley, I definitely think uh, what he's done, he's been relatively healthy the last few years, been a quarterback of that defense there. I know um, he made a lot of plays last year for a team that really didn't do a whole lot. But at the same time, I think people are going to really miss his leadership. And they were so they, they were depending on that, especially due to transition a year that they were expected to have with not only they lost Cam Newton, they lost a lot of other players on, on both sides of the ball, including Mario Addison, who moved mm-hmm. on to Buffalo, and also James Bradbury, who moved on to the Giants as well. So I definitely think both are going to be missed. But if I had to put one, in particular, because I know they were going to release Cam Newton. They were going to get rid of Cam Newton anyway, but they definitely going to miss Luke a lot more. Mm-hmm. No, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Cam Newton ends his tenure in Carolina with, like, with the all-time leader in passing yards at 29,041 yards. Also uh, leaves with the most touchdown passes at 182, most pass attempts at 3,980, 3, most, most pass completions at 2,371, and also had uh, 19 300-yard passing games with another 58 rushing touchdowns and most wins by a quarterback with the Carolina Panthers jersey at 68. So as you can tell, Cam Newton has been what, you know, what kind of represented the Carolina Panthers besides a loop. Keekly type, of course, we all fall in love with the quarterback because, unfortunately, a middle linebacker can't throw touchdowns, can't throw game-winning touchdowns and whatnot. So 
here comes the Panthers. They hire a new head coach. And then all of a sudden, you know, we we kind of know where the Cam Newton saga begins halfway. Um, obviously, there are rumor reports saying that he could have came back. The team didn't want to do that. Um, obviously, the season did not go the way that they wanted to. Head coach Ron Rivera gets fired in week 14. Uh, and then Perry Fuel, the interim head coach, goes in, into his position. Obviously, d- doesn't do any better. He goes 0 for 4 towards the end of the season. And then now, here you are. You, you have... You know, a position, a major position now open on a team in which, you know, they haven't had a need of a quarterback in the teams almost in a decade. And here comes Teddy, here comes the Teddy Bridgewater train. Um, me being a Miami native, I couldn't even be more happy for him. I do, you know, here's a guy who's battled, you know, a tough injury in Minnesota. Basically, you know, he was so hurt he couldn't even compete for that spot again. But listen, um, you know, now he has an opportunity. And in a division which he knows quite well, you know, coming from the Saints, still staying in the NFC South, um, you know, he he comes to the Panthers. He agrees to a three-year deal worth $63 million. I have no issues with that. Teddy Bridgewater showed last year for the Saints with Drew Brees out. A lot of people, they didn't expect for them to go to Seattle and win. They didn't expect for them to go to Chicago and win. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater actually played, I believe, one of his finest seasons ever in the NFL. Um, you know, so, you know, those are things that, you know, we have to realize and, and come into the account at when you look at the NFC South, you have your Brady in Tampa, you have your Matt Ryan in Atlanta, but I truly feel that maybe Teddy Bridgewater will be that X factor in that division. Um, how do you think he's going to fit in this new team and role? Um, you know, because as we say, as we saw with what the Panthers did in the draft, it was all defense. No offensive players at all. They go out and sign Pharrell Cooper to a one-year deal. They also sign Robbie Anderson. So as you can see, Panthers try to solve offense uh, through that route. Obviously, they have the all-star running back in Christian McCaffrey without question. Um, so how do you think he's going to fit in this new type of offense or whatnot? And let's also not forget that the Panthers also brought in the, I believe it's the passing coach from LSU that just won the passing title. No, I'm sorry. That- yeah. Yeah, that Joe Brady. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Joe Brady that just won the national championship with Joe Burrow. Yeah, um, well, Joe Brady was there in New Orleans with Teddy Bridgewater prior to that, making um, mm-hmm. the LSU job. So yeah, it's going to be familiar terminology and playbook for him. So it gives him a little bit of a comfort coming from New Orleans to Carolina because he knows the offense. He knows Joe Brady personally. Uh, Joe Brady wanted – that's his guy and Teddy Bridgewater. So I definitely think it's going to be uh, a lot of uh, good things going on there as far as a comfort level and uh, a transition there. As far as uh, the defense, it would definitely needed it because they they definitely um, gave up a lot, of run, a lot of rushing yards down the stretch last year. They gave up the most touching touchdowns since the AFL-NFL merger in 1970. And oh, they boy. also uh, – yeah, oh, <laughs> and man, also one of the worst rushing defenses in the NFL as well. Um, really, the game that ended, got Ron Rivera fired is um, against the Redskins, where mm-hmm. uh, Dwayne Haskins really didn't have to pass the ball a whole lot. And they just ran the ball all over the Panthers' defense, and they wanted to make that a, a they wanted to address that during the offseason. So that's why they went on and got Derrick Brown and got got a lot of the players that they did on defense there. And they figured, well, the offensive time will come and. Uh, this is definitely going to be a, more than a year 
uh, rebuilding type of thing for Carolina. They understand that, but um, I definitely think Teddy Bridgewater is kind of the guy that might get them out of it there. Whether he's the quarterback long term, I don't know. I know he's there for three years at least, or at least two years. Um, there are two years of that, that deal is guaranteed. So I definitely think he's a um, good quality guy that can step in and give them some stability at the quarterback position there. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, no, I mean, I, I guess we could all agree is that the Carolina Panthers window of winning it all had to be when they were in the Super Bowl. And unfortunately, they couldn't even do that against a, a you know, I'm not saying that Peyton Manning was himself. But I mean, we all saw him throughout the playoffs. He was not the Peyton Manning of old. And for, you know, for them to still lose that to me is still, you know, it's just one of those title games where you try to remember and see like, how did that happen? I mean, like, are you kidding me? It's, it was Peyton Manning with CJ Anderson, but it was just a good game plan overall. Um, well, so, they defense too. You got to get up the Broncos defense. Yeah. Man. You know what? I totally forgot about Von Miller. My bad. Yeah. Von Miller. <laughs> I about Ron Miller. Oh, wow. So yeah, yeah, it had a lot yeah. to do with it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, so it's like we, you know, it's like we just said, the Panthers drafted seven players on the defensive side. Uh, you just mentioned the all-star guy, DL, uh, and Derrick Brown out of Auburn. Obviously, it goes on and on. So it's going to, I mean, you can kind of see where the Panthers' new, 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 new coach wants to lay his stamp on, and that's definitely with the defensive side. Obviously, you know, if you can prevent teams from scoring more and you've got an offense that can score more than them week in and week out, that will obviously win you a lot of games. Um, I guess my final question to you is, let's go really quickly back to Cam Newton. I mean, it's going to be very odd because I know he hasn't signed yet with another team. There's a lot of wrinkles here and there, maybe New England. Um, I first thought, why not L.A.? You know, he he's getting away. No, I thought personally, get away from the East Coast, go to a team in which, you know, there's no more Phillip Rivers. You're competing against, let's be honest here, not top-tier guys. And I do understand they drafted, um, you know, a quarterback, you know, to, you know, be Austin there. Hurley, yeah. yeah, exactly, to be there. But does Cam, do you personally think that Cam Newton has anything left in the tank? I, I think so. Um, it's just a matter of can he stay healthy. Uh, I definitely think that's the main thing. And he's thirty one now. I, I don't think he's gonna be one of these guys like a Drew Brees and Tom. He's gonna play, he's not gonna play till he's forty years old. He's already taken a ton of beating, a ton of shots throughout his career. But I definitely think why can't he play another three or four more years um, potentially at a high level? It's just a matter of can these doctors get a handle on him and see if, if he's 100% healthy? And if he is, um, what situation fits him? This is just a bad situation for him right now with everything that's going on and uh, the pandemic and not being able, teams not being able to give him a physical. So now he's kind of in a situation where it's probably better for him just to wait and maybe see if it's potentially is an injury situation. But he probably shouldn't wait too long because once the season starts, I can tell you just my experience covering sports in general, especially football. Uh, once once training once training camp ends and the regular season ends, teams usually tend to stick with their own guys, especially if they, they um, a player doesn't necessarily know their playbook. And uh, if Cam Newton's not on the team anywhere, it's going to be hard for him to latch on somewhere, especially having to learn to do playbook offensive playbook and uh, chemistry with his quarterbacks there. So yeah, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna wait a little bit, maybe till training camp and see what happens there. But I hope he can get somewhere, even if it's just a backup situation for a year. Uh, I definitely thought Pittsburgh would be a good spot for him because Ben Roethlisberger has 
shown the ability not to stay healthy the last few years. And you don't want a situation last year with the Steelers. They finished eight and eight, but with Duck Hodges and um, Mason Rudolph, just imagine if they had somebody of Cam Newton's caliber, even if he's not the old Cam Newton, he's still better than those options there. I definitely think they would have made the playoffs. So, yeah, I definitely think um, he could at least be a backup quarterback for a team that has kind of either a shaky quarterback situation or a guy that has the ability to get hurt sometimes. Okay. Um, I had a few questions. I might just ask you this one. It might cover everything. But regarding Matt Rule, um, I'm always a little hesitant when it comes to college coaches transitioning to the NFL. I always assume that it's going to go really poorly and it's going to be another Chip Kelly or another Nick Saban where it just kind of fizzles out and doesn't amount to anything. Um, Matt Rule has succeeded pretty much everywhere he's gone. Uh, when he got to Baylor, they had a 1-11 record in 2017. And then fast forward two years later, they finish 11-1 and and go to the Big 12 championship game. So everywhere he's been, he's succeeded and he's turned around um, several programs. Do you think that Matt Rule can be that guy to come into the NFL and succeed here with Carolina? Well, I'm not sure, but I, I tell you what, one thing that does uh, help him, he does have um, experience coaching in the NFL, although brief as a position coach with the New York Giants years ago. The Giants obviously wanted him to be their head coach before uh, the Carolina Panthers. David Tepper gave um, Matt Rule a, offer, a crazy offer. He couldn't refuse a seven-year, $62 million deal, which is just absurd for a coach uh, these days. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. I don't, I don't know. Uh, just everything that I've talked we talked to him, he seems like he uh, very knowledgeable about the game, about the transition to the NFL. But I don't know if uh, we we're gonna know until really once uh, things start get going and uh, how they transition, how they bounce back from loss to loss. Because yeah, he's turned around. Temple had a great success there before he went to Baylor. And obviously you talked about the Baylor situation and everything they went through, but yeah, this is definitely a different animal there. It's been coaches that have had success. Uh, Bill O'Brien has some success there with the Texans there. He came from Penn state. There's been other guys that have had success. It can be hit or miss, but so um, I definitely think he could, it's just going to be about, it's going to be about, can they get the players, the right type of players? That's what it's all about. Um, so to answer your question, I'm not sure. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to tell, especially considering the circumstances. Him going from college to the NFL, but I definitely think I like what he's doing so far, as far as getting the defense uh, settled there, and then if they feel like they can get the offensive going the way that they're going, and who knows? Um, depending on how badly they are next year, they might be in a position where they end up drafting uh, Trevor Lawrence from Clemson, and that might start to turn things around from there offensively as well. Yeah, that would be a, a pretty wild story. Uh, I know I watched his introductory press conference, and if we gave out wins and losses based on press conferences, Matt Rule would have gone undefeated because oh, yeah. I watched that press conference, and at the end of it, I was ready to like run through a wall for the guy. I was like, I don't even play football, but I'll play for him. That press conference, I mean, he nailed it. So uh, I hope it works. I never want anyone to fail, so I hope it works. Um, the one other quick thing that I was going to ask you, you had mentioned you know, the players being uh, the big key f- into all this. And so I was going to ask you with 
Luke Keekley being gone, who do you think fills that role of team leader? Um, obviously, we've already said Cam's not there. Luke's not there. Who do you think is the team leader now? Um, I definitely think it's going to fall on a number of different people. Obviously, you look at Christian McCaffrey on that on the offensive side of the ball. He was already a captain last year as well. He'll definitely take on um, more of a role there. Um, obviously, Cam only played two games last year, so McCaffrey, it was kind of McCaffrey's team on that side of the ball anyway. And then you look at it defensively. I definitely think um, you look you look at Shat Tom- I said, uh, yeah, Seth Thompson, who they um, signed to an extension last year. Um, last December, and they, I assume, I assume he's going to feel a lot of what Luke try to feel with a lot of what Luke Keekley ended up doing uh, there defensively, um, and definitely um, also feel like Trey Boston, their safety, is also going to be a guy that's going to take on a lot more as far as a captain type role leader on that defense. So that's probably be the three names I would look at as far as the leaders um, of that team in 2020. Okay. Um, Aaron, did you have anything that you wanted to hit on for the Saints before we move on? Or sorry, oh, with the Panthers? Panthers? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, in years past uh, in the passing game, they've they've had like a Greg Olson or a Steve Smith to lean on. Do you see anybody in their starting wide receiver or tight end group that uh, maybe have a standout year this year with uh, Teddy Bridgewater under quarterback uh, aside from Christian McCaffrey? Yeah, I, I thought DJ Moore had a really good year last year. Um, a lot of people really didn't talk about him just because because of what McCaffrey did catching the football and also um, running the football as well. Uh, DJ Moore ended up having eighty seven catches for uh, one thousand seventy five yards and four touchdowns. So I definitely think he can potentially see those numbers increase a little bit there. Obviously, Curtis Samuel had a decent year as well, six touchdowns there over 50 receptions, and then they also picked up Robbie Anderson as well. So I definitely think you'll see more. Uh, you'll see those guys get more uh, opportunities this year. Matt Rule has already talked about how he doesn't want McCaffrey catching that many passes and having that type of workload there because it really r- runs down your on your running back, even though I know they just paid McCaffrey a ton of money as far as an extension. They definitely want to pick his spots and use him uh, correctly, not necessarily how Ron Rivera ended up using them. So I, I definitely think the workload for McCaffrey uh, will be a lot lower than being out playing 90, 98% of the snaps like he did last year. You'll definitely see that decrease there. So I definitely think you'll see a combination of those three guys, um, more so probably DJ Moore, I think, leaving in receptions once again. Yeah, and definitely, I mean, Christian McCaffrey is one of those star players, but um, his body could only take so much, so much, uh, pain with those hits there. So it'd be nice to have to have somebody out there to pass the ball around too. Yeah. And DJ Moore is a good wide receiver. I had him on my fantasy team last year and he did some good things for me and I would, uh, put him on my fantasy team this year too. I, I think he's a really good wide receiver that would, you know, kind of flying under the radar right now, but um we'll go ahead we'll move on to the um, new orleans may i Saints. ask just one more question oh yeah sure real go ahead quick. manny yeah um Antoine, real quick before we move on from the panthers um you now cover the team you know the fan base how would the carolina panthers fans remember cam newton uh some of them consider him uh if not one of if not the best panthers player of all time at least one of them uh mm-hmm. they definitely remember that 15 to one season 
uh, and what he did, helping them propel them to the runs of the Super Bowl, at MVP type year, and one of, and he was voted in the best player in the league at one point in time. Crazy enough, that seems like an eternity ago, but sure. yeah, that was sure. definitely the case. Uh, so definitely think it's a lot of uh, positives with Cam Newton around the fan base. It's also he's a very polarizing uh, figure. A lot of people love him or they hate him. It's him because um, things he's done um, off the off the field there. Uh, whether you talk about some of the press conferences and uh, his mood swings at times, maybe when they've lost games, they probably shouldn't have. So, but I think as a whole, I think a lot of Panthers fans really love Cam Newton, and a lot of them are sad that he's in, he's no longer a Panthers player. He's definitely given us some nice uh, post or. I would say I was gonna say post game, but press conference works too. Uh, gifts and videos. Um, yeah, and outfits as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, between his facial reactions and uh, the outfits and some of the other things. Um, I know me personally. If someone says to me like one team and one player, if you say the Panthers, I'm gonna say Cam Newton. The only other person I would really think of would be maybe steve smith Smith. yep yeah and then Mm -hmm. like beneath steve smith the only other person i would really think of maybe keekly or jake delome i mean i don't i don't really think of the carolina panthers as being one of those franchises that's had a ton of stars um well well, i'll probably say either smith steve smith or julius peppers well peppers is definitely yeah yeah Yeah, i forgot about julius peppers yeah that's right yeah (laughs) i forgot about him I've, he hasn't been with the Panthers, it seems like, for a long time now. Um, I don't know how accurate that is, but it seems like he hasn't well, been on the Panthers did, for a while. I think he did come back, right? Yeah, he did. For one or three back, years, yeah. Right? yeah, he did. He played for the Panthers his last couple of years in the league. What yeah, I find most was... enjoyable is uh, we, we live in uh, Seattle, Antoine, and uh, the Seahawks fans hate Cam Newton. So... <laughs> Yeah. I love I love that because I can't stand the Seahawks fans. So anytime yeah. they're disgruntled, brings well, think, joy to my uh, A lot of the Panther fans hate Russell Wilson, even though it's I don't know how you hate Russell Wilson, but I think I like I think part of that is because the Seahawks fans hate Cam Newton. That's great. I think um, <laughs> I I'm one of those people. I don't like Russell Wilson, but that, that's just because I think he's a big geek. But it's whatever. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> he's just he's just a geek, man. He just he sells his concussion water, and it's like whatever, dude. Yeah. Uh, so we'll go ahead. We'll move on to the New Orleans Saints. Um, Rams Ooh, fans' yeah. favorite team. Uh, besides the Rams, I'm sure. Uh, so, Aaron, let's yeah. go ahead and talk some Saints, man. Yeah, Antoine. All right. I wanted to touch on the team who, in my opinion, is the clear runaway to win the NFC South. And that is your reigning NFC South champ, New Orleans Saints. Um. All right. So there's something about the Saints. Uh, in fact, there's something about the future Hall of Fame quarterback, Drew Brees, which I found very surprising, but I like to just share a little tidbit. Uh, Drew Brees, as some of you may already know, holds many, many NFL records. Uh, for instance, he owns the Are most. Sure? Car- oh, oh sure? yeah. Oh, I'm okay. very sure. Very sure. All he right. owns. Uh, he owns most career pass completions over sixty eight hundred. Most he owns career every single record on Monday Night Football. Yeah, almost <laughs> most career passing touchdowns five hundred forty seven. Most consecutive games with one at least one touchdown pass at 54. 
Most career passing yards, over 77,000. Completions in a season, 471. Um, Single game completion percentage, 96.7%. Single season completion percentage, 74.4%. Career rise over 18 seasons. He sits atop potentially, well, right now he sits as the most accurate quarterback in NFL history at 67.6% completion percentage. Uh, I mean, basically this guy owns every primary quarterback record there is. Uh, And get this, Drew Brees has never won a league MVP. Peyton Manning has won five. Tom Brady has won three, who are both immobile quarterbacks, kind of like Drew Brees. Um, Cam Newton, your boy Cam Newton there. Even Matt Ryan, part of the NFC South, they've both won league MVP honors. Drew Brees, zero. Uh, I've even heard critics say he's not even in the top 10 quarter, like best quarterbacks of all time. <clears throat> I don't know how this is possible. I feel this man gets no love from the league and that bugs the heck out of me. But I will end my rant there. I love Drew Brees. I think he's amazing. Going to my questions. <laughs> um, Alvin Kamara's productivity, I think, took a hit in 2019. I mean, the Saints parted ways with his counterpunch there, Mark Ingram Jr., who went over to Baltimore. Uh, I mean, Mark Ingram more. Yeah. Out here at the bank. Woo, woo. All right. Get it, get it. Uh, <laughs> Mark Ingram was one of those guys that would punish the defense. I mean, he's a hard-hitting, tough-nosed football player. Uh, Alvin Kamara always complimented Ingram's running style with his agility, his speed, his elusive running ability. I feel like that made it difficult for defenses to really scheme specifically to one back. Uh, and just to give you a little bit of context uh, from Kamara's performance uh, with and without Ingram. So in 2018 with Ingram, Alvin Kamara played in 15 games, tallying up 883 rushing yards and 14 rushing touchdowns with 709 receiving yards with four touchdowns in 2019 without Ingram Kamara played in 14 games. So one less than 2018. Uh, He was able to tally up 797 rushing yards with only five rushing touchdowns and uh, 533 receiving yards with one receiving touchdown. So his touchdown total alone dropped by 12. That's nine less rushing touchdowns and three less receiving touchdowns. I don't know. Maybe defenses knew how to better cover him for 2019. Maybe his age slowed him down a step. Uh, or potentially the loss of Mark Ingram Jr. truly affected his overall performance. Uh, now, I mean, the Saints still have Latavius Murray, who's a big physical runner, who can kind of be that Mark Ingram-type running back. Uh, this is going to be a second season with the team. Maybe he's a little more comfortable with his role, with the offensive scheme. Uh, do you see Alvin Kamara coming back this season being more productive uh, back without the possibility of an effectively shared backfield like what he had with Mark Ingram? Or do you think his productivity lies heavily on somebody like a Latavius Murray stepping up and elevating and contributing offensively? I think both, but yeah, I definitely think uh, Latavius, the loss of Mark Ingram couldn't be, couldn't really hurt him last year. Beyond, He got off to a really slow start and played well, played well later on in the season, but yeah, as you alluded to, it definitely wasn't the same type of statistical uh, measures that 
for a customer seal from Alvin Camaro there. And it's definitely going to be dependent on if Latavius Murray can take some of that load off of him. Uh, we're talking about Murray, who, who's been a running back um, in a lot of different other places, the Raiders, Minnesota. They should the workload there. But, yeah, definitely going to depend a lot on him, especially with agent Drew Brees there. You don't necessarily want Drew Brees taking a lot of shots there. Um, so I definitely think they're going to focus a little bit more on running the football um, in between the tackles there. And they definitely need Murray to step up a little bit more you know, this particular year. But, yeah, I definitely th- – I expect – Camara to have a much better season, much better start than he did last year. But it was definitely just unfortunate the loss of Mark Ingram. And I don't think a lot of people thought that would be a big deal, especially considering Ingram getting up up there in age and Camara being the the horse that he is. But it was definitely a big loss there. And I definitely think Camara needs some needs a one two tandem there to kind of complement what he does. Yeah, no, I definitely couldn't agree with you more. I mean, they they went and grabbed Ty Montgomery too, who's kind of that. Um, he's kind of a little bit of a utility player in himself. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the the Saints' offense I think is going to be slightly better this year too. They 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 picked up Emmanuel Sanders to to complement Michael Thomas there in the wide receiver position. So, um, I mean, either way, this offense is going to be potent. Uh, whether Alvin Kamara has a 2018 type year or 2019 type year, they're going to be a potent offense. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, move on to another question here. I mean, I know there's some chatter around the league. Uh, I mean, at least there's some in the realms of my family. My brother's a huge saints fan, but uh, the chatter is Taysom Hill. I mean, his reign, his opportunity at the saints starting quarterback position was coming as soon as Drew Brees announced retirement. My brother was convinced. However, the Saints went out and signed a one-year deal with backup quarterback, previously starting quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before Brady ran him out of town, Jameis Winston. Uh, From my perspective, this tells me the Saints don't have faith in Hill's ability to be that every-down quarterback. Uh, they had to dive into the open market to grab, to grab Jameis Winston. So, I mean, Drew Brees just signed a two-year contract. Uh, I mean, I guess my first question is, do you see Brees retiring once this two-year contract is up? If so, do you see either Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, if either of those are still on the, either of those guys are still on the team or potentially they got a seventh round draft pick with uh, Tommy Stevens out of Mississippi State. Do you see any of those guys being the future quarterback of this franchise, or do you potentially see them moving on to somebody completely different? Well, I definitely think, uh, depending on how the season may go for the Saints, uh, yeah. Drew Brees might retire after this year. I could definitely see that uh, happening, especially with him. He's already making moves outside of, I mean, away from football once he gets done. They're taking a job with NBC. Yeah. Um, doing some um, boost stuff, also doing some uh, broadcasting there um, in the studio as well. So, yeah, he's already looking towards retirement there, even though he hasn't necessarily said when he's going to retire. So I definitely think uh, the time has come, uh, whether it be this year or next year. I definitely think this might potentially be his last year. I know there's been some rumors there uh, that 2020 could be his last year. I could definitely see that. As far as uh, Taysom Hill, uh, I I think I think it's to me 
if you have a guy and people have said, I know Jay Glazer recently has said they kind of view him as like a, a bigger Lamar Jackson. If you have a, that guy on your roster, why are you using him in the way that they use Taysom Hill? Though I know he can do a lot of different things out there in the field, but yeah, I, I don't think you have a guy like that as good as Lamar Jackson is, especially uh, what he does for the Ravens. I don't think you risk that putting him out there at receiver to be completely honest to get to sustain a, a serious injury potentially so yeah i don't i find this a smoke screen i definitely think Taysom hill could be a guy that could come in and take some snaps at quarterback but i don't think he's your long-term solution if not if they if he was then i agree i don't think you go out and sign a Jameis winston which i definitely think they want to see what Jameis can do come in this system maybe limit the interceptions and Jameis is 26 years old he's st- it's still a lot of time for him to potentially be a st- solid starting quarterback in the league. Maybe his, this is a good situation for him where he can just take a step back and learn for a year, watch a Hall of Fame quarterback go to work and learn the Saints offense. And depending on what may happen there, he may even be the guy next guy in line to take over. So I definitely think it's a potential situation where if things work out really well for New, if New Orleans, for Jameis, if he can stay out of trouble and do exactly what they want him to do, this could be his team in 2021 and we're moving forward but yeah i definitely think it's an opportunity there for him but yeah i'm not really buying the Taysom hill hypeness like some people are <laughs> yeah uh i i mean i couldn't agree with you more me and my brother have been going back and forth um arguing about this because he's he's all in on Taysom hill and i am not i think he's a good utility player uh i think he's a solid player but i personally don't think he's an every down quarterback so um, I'm happy to see that you're on the same page there, Nick. The you Taysom, you want to add to that? The I just the Taysom Hill stuff makes me laugh so much. I saw that comment that Jay Glazer made the other day about him being a bigger Lamar Jackson, and I think that is so hilarious. That is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard any analyst or expert say. Uh, the guy's 31 years old. If he was that good, he'd be starting somewhere. He's a backup. He's a utility guy. He's nothing more than that. I don't know why anyone thinks that this guy is Joe Namath or uh, Joe Montana or someone sitting on the bench. <laughs> I just, I think it's hilarious. I just, sorry. I, I just can't help but laugh whenever people think that Taysom Hill's the guy. Yeah, no, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree with you. I just think, I, I don't understand it. I, I just don't. Maybe it's because we hadn't seen Hill start in a full game at the quarterback position. So it's always one of those things where you, you wonder what the backup quarterback could potentially do. I think once we see him in that role and people will understand why he's not a starting every down quarterback in the league. But yeah, I'm, I'm not buying it at all. I just think it's a bit smoke screen to be completely honest. Cause as you said, if, 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 if the saints feel that way, you know, somebody else probably else feels that way too. And if the, somebody else felt that way, they would have went out and got uh Taysom Hill. We're especially in the quarterback needy market that we're always in in the NFL. Great. Yeah, no, thank you for your input on that. Uh, yeah, I just have, a, I guess, just a, a last two-part question here. Uh, part one, in your unbiased opinion, which team do you see winning this division? And part two, which trio do you see having more success this year? Drew Brees, Jared Goff, Michael Thomas, or Tom Brady, Rob Kronkowski, Mike Evans? Okay, I I'm gonna I'll answer your division question first. Uh, the Saints have won it three years in a row. 
it's I know the hype train is with Tampa Bay this year, just like it was with Cleveland last year. To be honest, that's kind of what it feels like to me. Even though I, I mean, obviously, yeah. when you get Tom Brady, uh, and does improve your football team, but uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. But the Saints, that are three three time reigning division champions. I'm willing to make it four. I don't think I don't see anything that's convinced me to think Tampa Bay or even Atlanta. I'm not even going to talk about the Panthers, but either one of those teams are ready to win the division as of yet. So I'm picking New Orleans to be completely honest and answer your second question as far as success. It depends on how you measure. Are you measuring it success as far as uh, the numbers per se, or are you measuring it as far as wins and losses? So I guess I'll ask that to you first before I answer that. Uh, I guess initially it would be numbers, numbers game. And then I guess yeah, you go to wins and losses too, but it sounds like you kind of already answered that with the Saints winning the division. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I definitely think the Saints will have more success than Tampa Bay. As far as numbers, yeah, you may see Tampa Bay with uh, Mike Evans, you know, Chris Godwin in there as well. Uh, they have a ton of weapons. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Tom Brady deals with all of that uh, where you still have Rob Gronkowski and they have three tight ends that can <laughs> catch the ball and do yeah. some damage potentially out there and not to mention with Evans and Godwin. So yeah, they, they got a pretty, it's a good situation for Tom Brady. Um, I know much different than people talk about in new England when they said he didn't have any weapons whatsoever, which I think is kind of, I mean, yeah, the weapons were not as very good, but I've seen Tom Brady work with less and do a lot better, but that's a whole other story. But the fact is, yeah, I definitely think uh, Tampa Bay, as far as the statistical standpoint, they may have more yards and the offense might be a little bit better. All right. All right. I hope you're wrong, but I appreciate your honest <laughs> opinion. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't have any more questions. Um, Nick, did you have anything else to add? Uh, you know what? The only thing that I'll add is uh, your guys' conversation about uh, Drew Brees um, not necessarily getting the respect that maybe he deserves. I think Jared Goff falls into this category as well. Um, I think the quarterback is one of those positions where they get way too much credit and way too much blame at the same time. And if... Drew Brees or Jared Goff does really well. People tend to think that it's because of Sean Payton and it's because of Sean McVay. They think it's a scheme thing. And that's the reason why the quarterbacks are successful. And when they struggle, it's all the players fault and they had a bad day or they're not good. So I think having Sean Payton for all these years has kind of hurt Drew Brees uh, from that perspective, because everyone seems to think that because he has Sean Payton that he's not as good of a quarterback. It's just a scheme thing. And that's why he's so good. Um, I think Jared Goff gets that as well. So just an interesting note that I wanted to make. Uh, Manny, did you have anything on the saints? Yeah. Well, um, just as one question, cause I, it's, it's amazing though, when you, cause the whole conversation in the beginning about Drew Brees, I mean, you're like this man here, you know, every time we watch him, he's, He's so accurate. He he's so consistent, and not saying that Aaron Rodgers is not that. Not saying that Tom Brady is not that. It's just I just I truly feel that Drew Brees something happened to him coming from San Diego to New Orleans. Um, if you talk to Dolphin fans, they said that they should have gone after Brees instead of Dante Culpepper. Um, <laughs> but it's just that that quarterback it factor. And now Nick, you bring up the fact that yeah, you know he's been successful because of. 
who he has near and who he has there. And it's, and you kind of put those two together and you kind of have to say, what if Drew Brees wasn't another type of offense? Would he be able to succeed the way that he has? Um, you know, so it's, you know, it's just very interesting things here and there when you kind of look at it as a whole, you know, it, it'd be very interesting because I would love to see him in another offense for one year with a good offensive mind besides champagne. And then, then we could probably say, well, you know, he was there for one year and then we'd have more facts, but you know, it's just those things that, that you kind of think about and you're like, well, you know, it's, it could happen. It could not, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and to add to, I mean, you look at Tom Brady doesn't have a, he didn't have a, a crummy coach to work with himself, but he still true. Well, it could be came out with three Tom Brady never really MVPs. had any, yeah, but like Tom Brady, you know, he, never really had those wide receivers that Breeze had. And then when Tom Brady had them, they never won the Super Bowl with them. So back to Peyton Manning. I mean, um, you had Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison. He won five MVPs. And I mean, I didn't think Tony Dungy was a bad, a bad coach by any means either. So let's not forget the great brandon stokely was also on some of those teams oh austin collie yeah but yeah i yeah yeah, and austin (laughs) collie well i think peyton Peyton manning was also really successful clark uh yeah yeah, dallas clark i was about to say Uh, peyton manning made a lot of money for a lot of different people he made people better than they really were yeah and i think uh peyton manning is a very unique case because absolutely he was he he was essentially his own offensive coordinator he was like (laughs) literally I call the shots here. I call the plays. I go up to the line of scrimmage with, you know, the plays that I want and I'll pick the play. And so he was a very unique. Old school. That's, that's the yeah. old school approach. That's how they used to be done. Yeah. Uh, you know, nowadays where the coordinators pick, but yeah, he was an old, that's why I love Peyton. He's an old school type of quarterback. Yeah. He, he did it all. Everything ran through him. He, Tom Morrow was just a guy. He was just giving Peyton guidance, but he didn't. Yeah. Peyton was yeah. the de facto offensive coordinator. Tom never Moore beat the Gators, would. though, Antoine. Never beat the Gators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Tom Moore was Pete Carroll before Pete Carroll was Pete Carroll because every time they'd show Tom Moore on the sidelines, he would just be chewing gum. That was every every time they ever showed him, he was just chewing gum on the sideline. Man, he never I did anything. He I just can't chewed stand gum. watching Pete Carroll chew that gum. Every time yeah. they show him, he's chomping on that gum, and it drives me crazy. He yeah, doesn't he, even—he he doesn't do it fashionably. He's just slapping his mouth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pete Carroll's definitely the gum guy in the NFL. Um, it it would be—I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Manny last week or two weeks ago. We were mm-hmm. talking about playing NFL games without fans and how weird that would be in a Peyton Manning game because he would go up to the line and all you would hear is just all of the Omaha Zulu blue slant left X block, you know, and he would just be a full on conversation for everyone to hear. That'd be kind of weird. Um, we'll go ahead. We'll move on to the uh, Buccaneers kind of save the best for last as far as uh, juicy storylines. Um, I like the analogy that you made earlier, Antoine, about the Bucks going into this season kind of being the Browns of last year because that's kind of how it feels where everyone's anointing them as kind of like this breakout team. And um, everyone, or I, I assume most people know the Super Bowl this year is going to be played in Tampa Bay. So Tampa Bay has that very rare opportunity where they can actually play in the Super Bowl and play in their home stadium, which would be wild. Um 
So it's it's been a polarizing storyline. Uh, some people are very high on the Bucks and they think that they're going to win the division and be great. And then there's other people who are on the complete opposite side and they think that Bucks are going to win like five games or six games. And I think that's more of the anti-Tom Brady factor than it is people actually being rational. But uh, before I get into a lot of storylines and all that stuff, uh, I have to ask you first about the uniforms again, because I'm a uniform guy and the Bucks are also one of the teams this year that decided to change their look which I think was a great call because I thought their jerseys were trash. So I'll ask you first, what are your thoughts on these new jerseys? Well, more old school jerseys, but yeah, they, uh, it looked much better than the digital clock look. Yeah. The digital clock. Yeah. Those were bad. Yeah. Yeah, They just had to go. And yeah, I love that. They went back to the nineties style nineties late. I mean, early two thousands look where they had the most success there with the red and, uh, black and then they got a you know a special type of gray there as well so i definitely um love what they did with the jerseys and probably next to i think the chargers um up there with the brown i actually like what the browns did too going back to old school as well um those were some of the best uniforms this year to be honest so yeah i definitely enjoyed them going back to their old school look yeah it was kind of funny because i remember when they were hyping up the release and I was like, I hope they bring back like the creamsicle look or something like that. Um, and then when I saw what they released, I was like, wait a minute, these aren't new. I was like, these, <laughs> these are the jerseys they had like 15 years ago. These aren't new at all. These are the jerseys that Mike Allstott wore. Uh, but I was like, you know what? I'm not going to complain because these are way better than what they had before. So yeah. not going to complain. Um, I agree with you. It's a much better look than what they had. Um, The Buccaneers last season was their first season under Bruce Arians. They went seven and nine. That was good for second in the division. So their offense wasn't the problem. They scored 28.6 points a game. That was good for third best. Where they really struggled was the defense. The defense gave up uh, 28.1 points per game which was good for 29th, which, which is almost dead last, obviously. Uh, they did improve on their previous season record of 5-11, and 11, uh, which is good, but they missed the playoffs for the 12th consecutive season, which is terrible. Um, to miss the playoffs 12 consecutive seasons in any sport is really hard to do. You almost have to try to do that. You would think at some point, just by chance, you would have one fluke season or something where you'd make the playoffs. So they haven't made the playoffs for 12 consecutive years, which is uh, really tough for the fans down there in uh, Florida. Um, the only other team that did that as far as not qualifying for the postseason during the 2010 decade was the Cleveland Browns. And uh, anytime you're sharing a record with the Cleveland Browns, that's usually not good. Uh, so Jameis Winston, as Manny pointed out earlier, Mr. 30 for 30, became the first quarterback in NFL history to throw 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions, which that's like people use the the line. It's a video game stat. Like that's a legit video game stat. Like that's something that you would do in Madden. Like all I do is run pass plays and I'm going to throw for 30 touchdowns and 30 picks. So um, my, one of my favorite nicknames for him is actually Jameis Squinston because it seems like every time they show him on the sidelines, he's just squinting really bad, but apparently he had some off-season LASIK surgery, and apparently he can see now, which 
I don't know why he waited until now to do that. And if you did do that, I don't know why they even let the public know because that just makes it sound even worse. But I don't know. Maybe he'll be able to see linebackers now. Um, I don't know. Apparently he couldn't see linebackers before. Um, obviously he's not with the team anymore. And the big headline was on March 20th, the team agreed to sign Tom Brady. Uh, huge deal. I will fully admit, I have no qualms about admitting that I'm a Tom Brady fan. I'm a Tom Brady guy. I think he's the greatest quarterback that's ever played. Uh, and they also signed, or they didn't sign him. Actually, they actually traded for Rob Gronkowski, who was retired. Um, so the Buccaneers are coming in like, um, fully betting on themselves. Everything's on the line. All the chips are on the table here. They're going for broke. Um, what do you think is reasonable of Tom Brady at this age? Do you think that he can come in and still be a pro bowl caliber quarterback? Or do you think that this is the year where, you know, his age finally catches up to him and we just don't really get anything from him? Well, I, I think I, th- I think you're going to see some. I think you're going to see a little bit of, of slippage, a little bit. I think we saw that, started to see that last year too. I think a lot of people used the excuse as him not having weapons, but my argument to that has always been: okay, if Tom Tom Brady, you measure him for how great he is, look at how what he did with the receivers that he had at times at, at New England. Some of those outside of Randy Moss and Wells Worker at times, I mean, he didn't have consistently great receivers, and he was able to win Super Bowls. And I, last year, I think we started to see the team rely more on the running game and their defense, and that's because I'm not saying Tom Brady can't make deep throws or anything like that, but he, as far as him being the best quarterback in the league, and I mean now – I don't think he is. I definitely think he's a more like a top 15, 10, 15 quarterback in the league. And that might be all Tampa Bay needs to get to the playoffs. But I definitely think what they're going to need to do, and that's what worries me about Tampa Bay, the offensive line. And you can say whatever you want to about Jameis Winston last year and him throwing 30 interceptions, which is not good by any means. But all of that, everything that happened offensively wasn't his fault. A lot of the – some of it was protection issues as well. And Jameis is a big guy. He took a lot of shots last year um, from defensive players because their offensive line wasn't very good. They've made moves to kind of shore that up, but I don't know how much better they are until we step out on the field. But they're going to have to protect Tom Brady. I mean, he's 43 years – he'll be 43 years old when the season starts. And I hope I, – I don't want to see him go down with – some kind of major injury there, but if they can protect them and Tom Brady can stay healthy, I definitely think he can be a top 10, 15 quarterback in the league. And uh, if he can be efficient, that's probably all Tampa Bay needs probably to, to be able to have a chance to get into the playoffs. Yeah. And I know Tampa Bay has uh, taken steps to kind of remedy that O-line situation because it was not good. And they drafted a tackle with their first round selection. I think it was the third overall pick or something. I could be wrong, but I know it was somewhere um, in the early picks there in the first round. They addressed that need and they picked a tackle. So hopefully he can come in because I'm sure they're counting on him to be a you know week one starter and protect Tom. Um, I my personal opinion and uh, people can say I'm biased. That's fine. Uh, I think Tom Brady's the kind of athlete who I would equate it to what we've seen in the Last Dance documentary with Michael Jordan, where he's one of those athletes where if you doubt him, if you slight him, 
if you say he can't do something, he's going to come at you 20 times harder than he would have before. And I think a lot of people that are saying that he's too old, he had Bill Belichick, he had Josh McDaniels. I think a lot of that is going to get to him. And I think he's going to be extremely motivated this season to come out and show everybody and give everyone a big middle finger and say, you know what? You guys all doubted me. This is what I can do. Um, Now the season after that, at some point, his age is going to catch up to him. But I feel like this season in particular, he's going to come out and want to just prove everybody wrong and just throw, you know, 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns or whatever, and just show everyone that he's still Tom Brady. Um, Regarding Gronkowski, uh, obviously he was retired, hasn't played football in over a year. And if you've seen any pictures of him recently, he certainly doesn't look like a football player. He looks like a guy who's in great shape, but he doesn't look like he's, uh, you know, got his football size on. Um, And I've seen some rumors floated around there that Bruce Arians actually wants to try him out as more of a wide receiver than a tight end, which I guess they could do. They still have OJ Howard, so I guess that's possible. Uh, What do you think is realistic to expect of Gronk? Do you think that he's going to be the number one tight end there? Should he be a wide receiver? Like, what do you think is reasonable? Well, you remember the last time we saw Gronk was in the Super Bowl against the Rams. And I mean, even that season, he had battled injuries. He he wasn't the same player that he used to be. So, yeah, he uh, looked like he was wearing body armor out there on the field just from all his injuries. Exactly. So it's I think it's hard to expect him to just turn into just all world Gronk, uh, one of the best tight ends back to that form once again, especially sitting out a year and losing the weight that he did. I know he's gaining it back. So he ended up saying recently he's a few protein shakes away from his playing weight. And it might be so, but yeah, it's just, it's hard, especially when, when their body loses that much weight so quickly and then you gain it back and yeah, you're doing a lot in a short amount of time. So yeah, I definitely think he's want to be more of like a contra- complimentary player there for Tampa Bay, which I think that's part of the reason why I don't think they traded OJ Howard there. Cause I don't know what you can really expect from Rob Gronkowski at this point in his career. Maybe you do get that um, pro bowl form back again, but I think it's going to be hard to depend on that considering the last time we saw him where he battled so many injuries and uh, it was hard for him to stay on the field to be completely honest. Yeah. So I think obviously the biggest question with the Buccaneers is going to be their defense. I don't think anyone's really going to question their offense that much. Um, but the defense has been the problem and it's usually a problem with any team coached by Bruce Arians. His teams aren't really known for their defense. Um, but it's not for a lack of talent. This team definitely has some players on their roster. Uh, so I don't know if it's a coaching thing, a scheme thing, but they have guys like Shaq Barrett, Indomitian Sue, Vita Vea, JPP, Levante David, Devin White, and they just drafted Antoine Winfield Jr., who uh, I'll leave it to you to tell me if he's going to be good or not. Just from what I saw briefly, it looked like he's yes. going to be a pretty decent player. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's I think he's with first down pick. I just think the fact that he has so many injuries at Minnesota, he had a lot of injury questions that yeah. having him slip all the way to the second round. And uh, basically, you really take him in the second round because you don't have to guarantee that fifth-year option just in case he were to get hurt. 
So I definitely think that's part of the reason why teams waited on him. But he's he's as talented as anybody in the draft. And uh, I, I don't think there's a lot of sure bets in the league. I don't know how long he can stay healthy. Um, but uh, if he's anything like his father, uh, he's definitely going to be in the league for a real long time. Yeah. Um, and like I said, all those names are like legit, really good players. So it's not like they don't have talent on the defensive side. So I don't know if it's just a coaching thing, a scheme thing or what it is, but I think if this defense can show up, I think that's going to be the difference between a team that wins eight or nine games and a team that wins like 12 and 13 games. Um, that that's just how I see it. Um, I think the defense is going to be the biggest key here. Um, I agree. I agree. I just think that I think you don't need they don't need to be great. They just need to be um, kind of average. And I definitely think they have the talent in order to do that. Um, I know they would tell you that they probably would say Jameis Winston's interceptions put them in a bad situations, which I know that was the case that's doing some of that. But again, it wasn't everything that happened with Tampa Bay last year. It wasn't Jameis Winston's fault. So I think it's kind of bad to put all the blame on him which is kind of saying like they in a way that's kind of what they're doing but yeah i definitely think if they can just be average an average difference be from middle of the road especially how good their offense is expected to be that might that's probably going to be enough to get them to the playoffs potentially yeah, uh, Jameis Winston was definitely the scapegoat. It's easy to point at the quarterback when he's throwing 30 interceptions, and I think he also lost some fumbles and stuff in there. So it's easy to point the finger and make him the scapegoat, which is, I think, why no one really talks about the problems with the offensive line or how bad the defense was. It's just easy to point at the quarterback and laugh and be like, oh, yeah, look, Jameis threw another pick. So, I, you know, those concerns – they can't do that now. I mean, now the focus is going to be on the offensive line, on the defense. And no one, I don't think, is going to look at Tom Brady and expect him to come in and be an MVP. So they're going to look at everyone else, or at least I think they should, and say, okay, well, what are you guys doing to help? So it'll be interesting to see what the Buccaneers do. Um, they're a very polarizing team. Um, I – it would – I. I wouldn't be surprised if they only won like eight games, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they won like 12. So very interesting team, very interesting dynamic there. And I, I'm really glad the Rams get to play them this season. Cause that's going to be a hell of a game. And Manny's actually going to that game. Uh, yes, sir. So that's going to be a fun well, one. Hopefully, hopefully if they allow fans, cause the way that things are going, I don't know, that could pretty much go up in the air as of, you know, right now. So. Yeah, everything seems to change day by day with the pandemic. So who knows where we're going to be? <laughs> I think that game is like week 12 or something. So who knows where we're going to be by then? Um, Manny, while I, you know, while I have you here, do you have anything on the Buccaneers that you wanted to address? I, I mean, listen, I, I go back to, and I, and I think you made an excellent point. Um, obviously, I'm pretty sure once Tom Brady retires, you know, we'll see lots of, you know, like just – We'll know more about him and his demeanor in the locker room and outside it. You know, we both know that he's a competitor. Um, you know, he wants to always win. And obviously, like, the greats of the greats have always, you know, they'll always come out on top. I just wonder if with this change all of a sudden, not saying he can't do it. And Antoine, I want to ask you this um, combined. Does he need to win in Tampa in order to keep his legacy as the GOAT per se? Um, listen, we do know he has six Super Bowl rings. That's more than Joe Montana. That's that's more than, you know, a lot of guys that will probably ever watch, ever play the position. 
but does he need to win in Tampa in order to solidify the whole, well, he won because of Bill Belichick and he won because of that system. You know what I mean? Like, what do you think he needs to do? Or maybe he doesn't need to do anything at all. No, I just think it's for his own probably personal ego. Maybe he feels like he needs to win uh, somewhere else. And I, I don't know necessarily what the issues there in New England. I've, I've talked to players. I mean, we're covering the Dolphins and Danny Amendola yeah. being there and uh, some other players that played in New England. And it's tough playing for Bill Belichick. And I think a lot of that, it kind of wears on people. And I think Rob, Rob Gronkowski kind of said the whole thing. But ultimately, you're winning. I mean, I think if anything, the Last Dance documentary taught us that winning comes at a price. You may not necessarily like the guy that's next to you or the head coach, but um, ultimately you all have the same goals and you try to put that aside in, um, in order to win. And I think I've spoke, I've heard a lot of Patriots playing, not player, former players, not saying Tom Brady, say that uh, Bill Belichick is kind of wears on you. We want a coach that we can like, maybe be a little bit friends with, but uh, ultimately it's, this game is about winning. And I know we kind of, things kind of wear on you, but um, Belichick is definitely a hard, hard ass. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's no uh, disrespect to him, but, yeah, it, it comes at a price. But maybe that was too much for Tom Brady, or maybe he wanted to prove the doubters wrong and see if he can do it without do it without Belichick. So it's going to be interesting to see, can he do it? I won't doubt him at all. It's really going to come down to, well, can they protect Tom Brady and that defense really getting a lot better. But, yeah, I won't doubt them at all. I could definitely see them, winning, like you said, in, in, winning anywhere from 8 to 12 games, to be honest, which I think I think they're probably like a non-win team. Uh, just simply because I, I think it's going to take some time for chemistry to get down, and he's playing with a new team, and uh, I know a little bit of a new system, even though he's going to bring some of the things he did with New England, but this is a whole brand-new scheme, whole new area. Um, so I definitely think it's going to take some time to get everything down as well. It's going to be some growing pains at times as well. Yeah, there's one thing about the last dance that it got me kind of to notice is that Bill Belichick is the Jerry Krause, you know, you, you know, like in a on a way of being, you know, such, you know, a hard, you know, like a hard person to work with. But it, when you're winning, obviously that's the team ultimate goal. And then obviously on a and a team like that, you need to have your go. And Tom Brady is that just like MJ was. So great stuff there, Antoine. Thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, did you have anything uh, Buccaneers related you wanted to hit on before we move on? I do not. Uh, I'm not really anything to add. <laughs> Antoine, quick thing. Uh, Aaron, Aaron is a diehard Raiders fan. So he's still living back pick sixes from the Super Bowl. Yeah, he's a hey, big, hey. he loves Tom Brady. He's a big Tuck game fan. Oh, hey. Oh, there goes Derek Brooks. Another hey. pick six on fire. Hey, I, I, I grew up loving the Raiders, so I understand the pain. So I definitely, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Tuck Rule game, I, I, I still can't watch it, actually. I, uh, I, I just remember after that game, I was in such disbelief at what happened. I was like, no. They're going to come back and say the Raiders won. I mean, Charles Woodson stripped <laughs> him. Greg Beaker got the fumble recovery. It was game over. They're going to come back and they're going to change. <laughs> they're going to change it. They have to. They never did. Yeah. 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 And the Super Bowl, after the Super Bowl a year later, definitely wasn't much better, too, with John Gruden winning it. So, yeah, it was, it's definitely yeah, um, power. been a lot of rough times for the Raiders, but um, I'm, <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm optimistic. I actually optimistic of what they've been doing recently. Uh, they just play in the wrong division with the Chiefs right now, but that's why they're yeah. that's why they're wild card spots though. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm definitely I'm interested to see. In fact, um, going back to the Saints, the the Raiders' first home game in their new stadium is going to be against the Saints. So yeah, <laughs> see how that turns out. Yeah, those tickets are going. I don't know about the Saints game particularly, but I know the Raiders home games there in the new stadium, those ticket prices are astronomical from what I've heard. I have a yeah, friend of mine. Yeah. I have a friend of mine who said that he was trying to go to a game and it was like $400 or $450 for like a nosebleed seat. So yeah, I was looking at the Broncos Raiders game and it was over $400 for like almost the very top. It's the gone for me, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but otherwise, no, I don't have any real comments for the Buccaneers. It's just going to I think they do have an improvement at quarterback with Tom Brady, um, sadly to say. But uh, I'm just hoping to see him crash and burn. Lovely. All right. Well, we'll, we'll wrap up with a little bit of kind of just rapid fire. Um, as far as we'll start off with who do you think is going to be the best offensive player from the NFC South? Um so I'll go ahead and answer one. I'll just go to you first. If you had to pick one player from the NFC South, who do you have your eye on for like a either a breakout performance or just like an amazing offensive performance this season? Well, I mean, if you were talking about the best player in the in the South, um I, I'm tend to go with uh, Julio Jones. I just think he's always been consistent, uh been the best wide receiver in football. I still think he is. Uh, I know Michael Thomas it's been great. I uh, ended up having a receptions record last year, but Julio has still been making Matt Ryan look so good throughout the years. Not that Matt Ryan isn't a good quarterback, but uh, having a guy like Julio Jones that definitely makes your job a lot easier. As far as a breakout player, um, I think it definitely we talked about him a little bit. Uh, Hayden Hurst there in Atlanta. I definitely think he can go down there and help um, take some pressure off of Julio and also Calvin Ridley there. And I definitely think he'll do a really good job there being that security blanket for Matt Ryan this upcoming year. Okay. Uh, Manny, who do you think is going to be the uh, offensive guy to watch? I mean, may I go with a guy in the quarterback position? Of course. Is that allowed? I'm going to still say Drew Brees, man. He has one more year. Same guy with Sean Payton. Same scheme. I truly believe that this is Drew Brees' final year in trying to get um, ring number two. Um, I, you know, listen, Antoine said it. He has a deal set to go do TV after this, right? So, you know, it's either win now or see you in the booth later. So uh, I'm going to go with Drew Brees. Okay. Yeah, unless he decides to do the Jason Witten thing and, like, do the booth no, for one no, year and then come back. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, Aaron, who's your guy? Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult to deviate from Christian McCaffrey. That was my initial thought, but um, I think Michael Thomas is gonna he's gonna pull away with it. I mean, yeah, Julio Jones is one of those star receivers. His health's always kind of in question. Uh, Michael Thomas, he's consistent. He's he's got Drew Brees throwing it to him. Uh, he's been able to stay healthy for the most part. And I think with Emmanuel Sanders on the other side, uh, playing wide receiver, that's going to draw a little more attention. Uh, and, um, I think Michael Thomas is going to have an outstanding year again. Okay. Obviously there's a lot to choose from in the NFC South. There's a lot of good offensive talent. Um, I am going with Mike Evans, uh, 
simply because Tom Brady, like I said, I think he's going to come into this season super motivated. And Tom Brady hasn't had a Mike Evans caliber wide receiver since he had Randy Moss. And I pulled up those numbers just for reference. So that first season with Tom Brady, which was 2007, Randy Moss had 98 catches for 1,493 yards and caught 23 touchdowns. I feel like Mike Evans could totally do that, especially right now with the league being a passing league and everyone's just throwing all the time. Uh, And Bruce Arians is a noted guy who just loves to chuck the ball. No risk it, no biscuit. So I think Mike Evans could totally put up numbers like that. So that's who I'm going to go with. Uh, So best defensive player. Antoine, I'll go to you first. Who do you think is going to be the best defensive player coming out of the South this season? Um, hmm. uh, I probably would say uh, I know Shaq Barrett had a great year last year. Yeah, he did. Uh, and uh, surprising a lot of different people there, but probably me, I probably would go with Cam Jordan for the Saints. Uh, he's definitely been consistently good uh, for New Orleans there. A lot of people really don't talk about him probably the way he should be uh, compared to some of the other edge rushers out there in the league. Um, so, yeah, I definitely would go with Cam Jordan there for New Orleans. Cam Jordan's an older guy too, right? He's been in the league, for, it seems like, for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, he's been good for a long time. Yeah, I don't think he gets the credit he necessarily deserve uh, or necessarily gets. He definitely, I think, deserves more uh, shine than he gets. Manny, who do you think is going to be that guy? I'm going to stick with uh, the same team as our friend Antoine, but I'm going to go with the linebacker and Demario Davis. I, I really saw him grow last year um, as a leader. Um, I saw him the way that he plays is you know he's he's always playing with a chip on his shoulder, runs sideline to sideline. So the like the same impact that Cam Jordan does on the D-line, I feel like Demario Davis does the same thing for the Saints from the linebacker spot. So uh, I'm going to go with Demario Davis. That's a good pick, too. Aaron, who's going to be your pick? Uh, yeah, Antoine already took him. So <laughs> I was going to go with Cameron yeah. Jordan as well. I mean, the guy had 15 and a half sacks last year. Uh, Come on, Aaron. You were going to go sacks. with Devin White, Aaron. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I did think about Lattimore because I like that cornerback position, but I was like, nah, I'll stick with Cameron Jordan. He's pretty studly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, th- like I said, he had 15 and a half sacks last year. Um, I could see him easily getting 11 plus sacks again this year. Uh, I hope he gets to Tom Brady quite frequently. So uh, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to, I'm going to copy uh, Antoine there and go with Cam Jordan. Not a bad pick. Uh, for me, I'm going with a former Ram. I'm going with Dante Fowler. Uh, good, I'm a big good, Dante. Good. Yeah, I'm a big Dante Fowler fan, and I don't think people realize how good he was and how much the Rams are going to miss him. So in 2019, he played in all 16 games. He had six six passes defended, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery, which he took back for a touchdown. 11 and a half sacks, 16 tackles for loss, 16 quarterback hits. 30, 35, 35 quarterback pressures, and he only missed eight tackles all season. Uh, those are all per pro football reference. So some of those are a little in the weeds, advanced stats. That's where I got those pro football reference. But those numbers just tell you how much of an impact he had on the game. Some of those numbers, like 35 quarterback pressures and only missing eight tackles. Those are things that don't show up in just the everyday stat sheet that I don't think people realize how much of an effect Dante Fowler had on the game. 
everyone gives you know Aaron Donald all the shine, which rightfully so. He's one of the best players in the league. But Dante Fowler was on the other side doing some serious damage himself, and I think the Rams are going to miss that. And I think he's going to do the same thing for the Falcons, and it wouldn't uh, you know surprise me if he came into this season with a chip on his shoulder wanting to show the Rams, hey, you should have kept me, and this is why. So I w- would love to see a big season from Dante Fowler. Uh, last thing, and then we'll wrap up. I'm just going to ask you guys to give me your predictions for the division standings. Um, if you want to give wins and losses, you can. If you just want to say bottom to top, however you want to do it, it's up to you. Antoine, I'll go to you first. How do you see the division uh, at the end of the season? Where is this all going to shake out? Uh, I, I have the Saints at 12-4, and four, uh, winning the division once again. Um, as far as being one of the top teams in the NFC, uh, I think the Falcons and the Tampa Bay probably finished about with the same work. I got both of them at nine and seven. Uh, I definitely could see um, one of those teams potentially getting that last one of those wild cards, three wild card spots in the NFC now. Um, and then you got Carolina bringing up the weir. I think they're probably going to win. They got a really tough schedule. Uh, I'm going to say they're going to win four games, but it wouldn't surprise me if they'd win maybe anywhere from three to five or six games. So. But, yeah, I definitely think they're going to finish in last place there. Okay. Uh, Manny, what do you think this division looks like at the end of the season? Well, I will probably say I see it the same way as Antoine. I see it as Saints, the Bucks, and the Falcons will be battling it out. Um, Obviously, I do see this being a division where maybe three teams do get in, um, especially with that extra playoff spot. So I'm going to go with Saints, Bucks, ATL, and the Panthers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Aaron, what do you think? Are you going to tell me the Buccaneers are going like 0 and 16? Yeah, they're going <laughs> to they're going to be defeated all year. No, I wish. Okay. Uh I hope. Uh no, I'm going to go with the 12 and 4 Saints number 1, Tampa Bay 9 and 7, Falcons 8 and 8, and I think Carolina's going to finish 4 and 12. Okay. Um, I think mine are pretty much the same as, as everybody. I have the saints finishing on top. I feel like their schedule is pretty easy too. Um, so it doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me for them to finish uh, at the top. I have the bucks finishing behind them. I have the Falcons behind them and the Panthers finishing in last. Uh, I do think it's a very interesting storyline to watch. Everyone last year was tank for Tua. I think this season, the narrative would be, you know, I don't know what it's going to be, but tanking for uh, uh, Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, um, you know, Antoine pointed that out earlier. That would be a pretty cool storyline to see him go from Clemson to the Panthers. So if Carolina really struggles and they just decide, you know, hey, we're, we're not really going to try that hard as much as a team can do that. Um I think it'd be pretty crazy if they ended up with like the first pick or something like that and then got Trevor Lawrence. So um, that's all we're going to discuss regarding the NFC South. So um, Antoine, thanks again for joining us, man. That was really awesome. I really appreciated your insight. Um, Before we head out, I want to give you a chance to, you know, plug your Twitter, uh, whatever social media you've got, where we can find your work, all that good stuff. 
Uh, you can find me at Antoine Staley on Twitter. Uh, also find me at the Riot Report talking Carolina Panthers. Uh, you can also find me at Athlon Sports there talking uh, general NFL and also some college football as well. Um, writing a few articles for both of the websites. So, yeah, you can definitely find my work there. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. It was a really good time. Uh, I'm sure once the season starts, we'll probably hit you up again and and we'll do something with you. So thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. And uh, as always, thanks for listening, guys.